Hi everyone and welcome to the final Better Right show of the season and this week we have got a Champions League special for you. Uh, Dean, you'll have to forgive my slightly hungover appearance. I was at the LMA Awards where I saw Jurgen Klopp win Manager of the Year. Um, and it was a great night celebrating the great and the good in the world of uh, football. And uh, yeah, I, I drank a lot of, of wine. So forgive me, Dean, if I'm a bit off the pace today. I'm going to lean heavily on you for the last one in the series. Uh, so not only do I have to do all the work, <laughs> you get to have all the fun. I'm, I don't know how fun it was, really, to be honest. They, they, the awards dues go, go, they go on for ages. Yeah, but, that's true. The the thing that my my brother was with me and um, he made a very good point because they said, oh, well, the nominees are, let's have a look at them in action and then it would just be goals but from their team, their respective teams. And and my brother made the point of what they should do is just have a montage of sort of managers on the touchline sort of doing that. And, you know, just a, a, you know, a, a build of, of manager reactions, basically. But anyway, Klopp won it. I think some people were a bit surprised Klopp won it. Were you? I think just because they've gone into the last day of the season with an opportunity to win four trophies. Uh, Eddie Howe could have been up there for me. We talked about him in January and I sort of threw them under the bus with their transfer signings. What do I know? But yeah, I think just because it always leans towards trophies, right? If you think about when Fabio Cannavaro won Player of the Year after Liverpool, like uh, won the Ballon d'Or after, sorry, after Italy won won their trophy. It, it always is it's that like recency bias. So I think he's a fair winner coming from not not at all bitter Everton fan. Uh, did we did did Everton win any awards by any chance? No, but <laughs> but there were lots of ex Everton managers there. Sam Allardyce, Martinez, Howard Wilkinson. Who else was there? Anyway, there were loads of them on 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 stage. So you were well represented by your former managers, but um, just, no sign just, of Frank. Just not Frank. by Frank's celebration of taking us over in sixteenth and then getting us to sixteenth. <laughs> Get in there! What an achievement! Um, dramatic final day of the season. Before we talk about the the Champions League, um, Leeds surviving City Liverpool the title race going down to the wire. It was um, it was entertaining stuff. Oh, it was. It was mad. When it got to 2-0, even at 2-0, I still had this little widget in my mind going, oh, City will come back now. And we talked about it, didn't we, before we did the match preview last week about how City can start slow in those sort of games and then become a real steamroll team in the second half when the momentum gets moving. And it just turned out to be that. And Liverpool struggling at 1-1, then they get ahead, then the crowd cheers, and then the crowd cheered again after Salah scored as if to let everybody know it was 3-3. Did you see that clip? That's so good. I think that is what, whoever did that is, deserves a medal. It was just genius. Oh, dear. And then, and then my old boys, Everton, like we said, just be off to the pub, getting absolutely drummed 5-1 by Arsenal. But Donny van der Beek scored an actual goal. So, well done, Donny. <laughs> Um, it was uh, it was a good final day. It was a good season all round. But the show continues because we've got Champions League final coming up. That's why we're here on our Champions League final special. We'll talk about that in a moment. But we do just need to say a big thank you to Surprise Shirts, who have been a huge part of the show this season. They've um, given us many colourful, wacky, wild shirts. And you're wearing the final one now. Is that right? 
I am wearing the final one. Our one from last week is on the wall. And I've replaced your two favourite ones with my favourite one, the uh, the one from Nacaxa in Mexico that we had earlier in the season, my favourite. But this from last week, if you just want to give us, did any, did anyone manage to get it right this week? Yeah, they did. Yeah, um, our, so I think we just need to call him the better right show captain, Neil Roberts. He gets yeah. it right every week. Aye, aye. He's a proper club man, is our Neil. Thank you, Neil. Um, and well done. James Tunstead and Robin Finity, I think, has got it right before. So that's the second time Robin's got one right as well. So he had three getting it right on the comments on the YouTube show. Quite a tricky one last week. Um, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, Racing Club Argentina. And a special little mention as well to Neil Roberts because he actually did win a surprise shirts contest as well, I saw on Twitter. He wins, he wins everything, that man. He's, He's just rolling, rolling along, just picking up bits here and there, always getting the scores right. If anyone, like we always say to people on the show, like follow us at BRI Insights, but follow Neil Roberts as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, what have you got on today? So, as you can see, very yellow, which shows my bright red face from living here in Spain. This is a, a Spanish club. Given that I live in Spain and there's a Spanish team in the Champions League final, this kind of fits in quite well with our final shirt from our amazing friends at Surprise Shirts. They were a lower league club until 2011-12 when they were promoted to Segunda Division and they remained there for 12 seasons. Now, interestingly, their owner is a, a US billionaire who also owns a team in the NHL, a team in the NFL, or sorry, the NBA, and has involvement as a managing partner or a part of the ownership group of Crystal Palace in the English Premier League. So, yeah, uh, quite a simple shirt. Uh, you know, you're not going to go missing uh, with this on. And yeah, get to the get to the Twitter, get to the YouTube, see if you can guess our final shirt of the season. And just a final shout out really to the guys at Surprise Shirts. We talked about it in the first ever show when I appeared in the first shirt. Uh, father and son duo, COVID, he was doing his A-levels, Louis, and they wanted a new business. Started to sell a few shirts, it snowballed. They've now built this amazing company, surpriseshirts.co.uk on the website, at Surprise Shirts on Twitter and surprise underscore shirts on Instagram. And they hold loads of competitions, subscriptions. They sent us all these shirts to partner with us to get the word out there about our show and about their product. Neil Roberts was a winner. There's always little competitions. You know, if so-and-so starts, you can win this shirt. And I'm sure they'll do it for the Champions League, maybe for someone like Mo Salah, who's been in and out of the team. But yeah, just a great service, a great story, two great guys, a family business. So support it, follow them, follow us and get guessing. Perfect. Yep. Thanks to Surprise Shirts. Uh, you mentioned there um, Mo Salah. He, of course, uh, will be in the Liverpool squad for the Champions League final. So let's preview it now. It's going to be an absolute belter between um, Liverpool and Real Madrid, who came back from the, the Champions League dead in many ways against Man City with that last minute goal to take it to extra time. And then obviously yeah, seeing off Man City, much to many people's surprise. Did they show you enough against City and have they shown you enough this season to think that they will pose a real threat to Liverpool? Or do you think that this is Liverpool's Champions League to lose? I would say it's Liverpool's to lose, but I do think that there's a couple of really interesting tactical battles that the users and myself and you will be watching uh, in the game on Saturday night. First things first, Madrid tend to dominate a lot of possession in Spain. and It's very, it's very rare that they're a counter-attacking team. So this season, when they've gone into Champions League games, they've actually been underdogs in a few of the games, City, PSG. But what's that, what's that 
has allowed them to do is to sit in and then to counter-attack, and they've been very effective in doing it. And I think that they're going to do that against Liverpool here, who will be favourites going into the into the game, and it will be a game where they'll want to be high-octane, dominate the ball, and really try and press and push Real Madrid back. So I do think that's a, that's an interesting battle before we get into talk about the individual players. OK, so tactically, that's going to be... Um... Be be interesting to watch, but but team news is going to be obviously massive. Liverpool have gone into it with some injuries. Tactically, the selections from Ancelotti in terms of who he picks to match up against certain Liverpool assets is going to be a big decision. So there's lots to think about going into the match on Saturday. Where are the or, or who are the key players and positions that you think will be causing the most sort of tactical headaches for the respective managers? Yeah. Well, let's go. Let's go for Liverpool first. Liverpool first. Liverpool first. I think first things first. That midfield selection, whether Fabinho is fit, whether Thiago is fit, is going to be huge. So when we talk about the prices at the end, Liverpool will probably drift towards kickoff as most favourites do. Half ball favourites in these sort of games. So I'd say bet closer to kickoff when you've seen teams than needing to put your money on now. And those two will be key there. In that midfield battle with Casemiro, with Modric, with Cruz. Now, Madrid have looked far more expansive and pacey when they brought Camavinga on later in the game, but I still think that Ancelotti will go with experience in there to match it up. And it'll be interesting to see what Klopp does if one of those don't start. You know, does Milner get a start? Is it does he trust Cater, who's played been kind of hit and miss in the big games, and Henderson will probably be in there as well with them. So that's the first battle, that really experienced, high quality centre midfield battle. Then you look at Liverpool's centre-backs. Will it be Matip or Konate with Van Dijk looking after Benzema? That will very much be like a two versus one in the middle of the pitch, as will Madrid versus Liverpool at the other end. The two centre-halves, if it will be Militao and David Alaba, will be looking after one player that will play typically just in front of them. Liverpool don't tend to play that traditional centre-forward, whether it's Jot or whether it's Mane. Whether Firmino gets a start, probably not so likely. But what that will do is that will just occupy and keep them central, which will open up the channels on the outside for what I think is the really interesting battle in this game uh, between the fullbacks and the wingers on both teams. Now, when you look at Madrid, right back, it's going to be Carvajal probably versus Luis Diaz. Now, that for me is a bit of a problem. I think he'll get turned inside out by him. And also, he doesn't offer a lot going forward for Madrid. The other option there is Vasquez. Better 1v1 and offers more going the other way. So when we come to talk about goals, that will be a big swing. But that's important area number one. On the other side, does he play? Um, it will be Fulham Mendy there, probably up against Salah. Left foot versus left foot. So defending on the inside of the ball will be important. And that's a job that Casemiro does really well. So I think off that side, that will be the side that's probably defended better. But the flip side of that is coming from the other end of the pitch. So if you look at Vinicius versus Trent, and then we look on the other side, potentially Valverde or Rodrigo against Robertson. Vinicius versus Trent will be massive. Trent's obviously huge for Liverpool going forward. One of their key creative players and, and assist makers. But if he leaves that spot and Vinicius can counter, then it will be that big space that's left and that 1v1 pace that he showed against City. So really important area again. Now over to the other side of the pitch. Robertson again likes to advance. And it's whether they play Valverde or Rodrigo. Rodrigo coming in against City, two goals, massive impact. But Valverde, much more disciplined defensively, travels very, very well with and without the ball. So I think he'll probably start there. 
But those 1v1 matchups in wide areas, the transition defensively from both teams is going to be massive, especially if Trent goes, does Vinicius recover? Um, you know, if Robertson goes, I think Valverde will recover on that side. So I think it's going to be that that right channel for uh, for Madrid. That's going to be their area of exp uh, to expose Liverpool. And the left side more for Liverpool, especially if Carver House starts. But then Valverde's more likely to recover to help. So it's really in the balance for me, but some really exciting matchups. And and it goes without saying, a lot of time when Trent plays in big matches, managers that come up against Trent look at his, obviously his attacking and offensive stats are phenomenal, the chances he creates, etc. But they go, let's try and exploit him defensively. Is he still what some not a liability that's probably too extreme but is he still defensively flawed in big matches big moments or has he improved that area of his game would you say i think he's improved on the floor area is still a problem defending the back post the positions he gets himself in normally because he's recovering from such a high position is still a problem so if benzema is peeling off the back post it may be an issue but obviously with van dyke matic canate they've got coverage in the air and Real Madrid are typically not a, a team that are going to attack crosses outside of Benzema. It's going to be more that 1v1 on the floor, that transition. If he gets into 1v1 matchups when he's exposed with Vinicius, I think Vinicius is going to get some joy. Mobility-wise, he has got better. He's a better 1v1 defender than he was, say, 18 months ago. But I think if Vinicius gets a run in that transition phase, which is where the game is going to be key, if Liverpool commit numbers, they're going to want to stay on top and Klopp will know this Klopp's smart enough to to have that assurance there that maybe Fabinho steps out into that you know if the chain gets broken he comes out into right back maybe the centre half goes across and Fabinho slides into centre half or whoever's playing in the defensive position maybe it's Henderson so he'll be smart he'll know that that's their area but it's not like Madrid is setting up specifically to exploit Trent Vinicius is their guy he's their outlet anyway so it's just a natural matchup and it will really be down to that one versus one, in and around the box, who can handle the pressure on on the big night. Vinicius is still a very young man. Trent, very experienced, but still a young man. So it will be a really key battle. And, and will there be goals? Or do these matches that, when you look at it on paper, you think there will be goals? It's Liverpool, it's Real Madrid. But because it's a Champions League final, will there be a bit of cat and mouse early just to see how the land lies? I think there will be. It was similar to the City game. The goal line wasn't massive and it was more like, our oh, City, they'll score and they'll manage the game. And then suddenly it just went. Poof. And finals tend to be slightly different. But the style matchups are positive. The individual matchups are positive. I like the fact that Liverpool don't play a traditional centre-half so they can suck Militao and Alaba towards the ball and get those runners in behind Diaz, Salah off the line from those Liverpool advanced midfielders sliding the balls through the pockets. If Trent and Andy Robertson go, then it should become uh, quite transitional uh, if Liverpool make the tempo high, which I think they will at the start of the game. Now, looking at the prices and how I think the game will flow, I think Liverpool, like I said earlier, will drift towards the start of the game. And I think this will probably be a game where maybe it goes off at a quarter ball. And actually, in-run betting may be the way to go here, just to allow that KG start 10-15 minutes let the prices drift. And then once that first 10 minutes is out of the way and people are into rhythm, then you can get your bets on. And um, 
in terms of discipline, are these two quite well disciplined di- disciplined sides? I mean, a lot of people will be doing, I'm sure, bet builders and stuff for the Champions League final corners, cards, etc. Is there anything? Is there anything out of the ordinary that that you want to flag up, or is it fairly fairly obvious in terms of the the bets that you'll be having? Yeah, it's. I'd have to look at the referee, uh, French gentleman. Not typically, is it averages on around four cards a game for the whole season, yellows and reds. He's he's refereed these three, these two teams three times before. Madrid have won all three, and Liverpool have won all three. So there's nothing there in relation to kind of performance. And tip, there's a couple of games where he gave no cards. There was one game where he gave loads, but that's more to do with the opposition. So I think this with the cagey start. I don't think you're going to get those flying tackles, that kind of crazy. And when you look at the personnel, you know, there's not a there's not an Atletico Madrid vibe about it. There's not a PSG vibe about it. It's experienced people that have been here a lot. Managers have been here a lot. Players have been here a lot. They're going to know how to manage their emotions in these situations. So I do think there'll be that cagey, like you said, cat and mouse at the start, but with a view to the game really opening up once the teams find a bit of rhythm and a bit of confidence. OK, good stuff. Right, I'm going to ask you... Um to tell me what you think the score will be in this year's Champions League final? Oh, uh, well, would you like my bets along with that or afterwards? Okay. Do you know what? Let me do, let me, let me do this, okay? This is wildly unprofessional because I'm now going to go back in time. <laughs> Maybe our wonderful editor, James, will be able to work his magic. <laughs> Dean. What are your bets for the Champions League final 2022? Ollie, my bets are this. Like I said, I think the prices will drift. So Liverpool, quarter ball around 1.81 at the moment, half a ball around 2.08. But I do think the prices will drift. I do think Liverpool have enough quality over the 90 minutes or extra time to be able to lift it. Obviously, if you place the bet on the 90 minutes, it's dead at 90 minutes. I do think Liverpool have the quality to be able to see this game over the line, but wait for teams, see what their midfield balance is. The preferred bet here would probably be on the overs. 2.75 is the line at 1.94. I would expect there to be three goals in this game, if not more. I do think that KG start opens up once people get a sniff of those weaknesses and start to think, all right, I think we can dominate that 1v1. We can dominate that 1v1. So I'd say wait for teams, watch the prices, but potential Liverpool and overs is the side that I would end up on. Okay, good stuff. That is the betting advice. But I want to do what every fan in the pub will be doing on Saturday night, and they'll be turning around to their mate, whether wherever they're watching it, and they'll say, right, what do you think the score's going to be? So I want you to tell me what you think the score's going to be. I think the score is going to be 2-1 to Liverpool. And who will score? Ooh, wow. You need to give me some prep on this. 2-1. I think there's going to be one predictable goal scorer, and I think there's going to be one unpredictable goal scorer. So I'm going to go for, can I? I'm going to go for a, a headed goal from a corner, and I'm going to say that Virgil Van Dijk is going to get his his big nut on the ball. That's going to be one, and I'm going to go for a. I think you've got to go. My my heart tells me that Mo Salah is going to score because of the whole Sergio Ramos shoulder pull face smash incident. So I'm going to go Salah and Van Dijk for Liverpool. And of course, I'm going to say that Karim Benzema is going to score for Madrid. Uh, and final question. Final question actually to you is what's your prediction for the score and who's no, going to no, score? I'll, 
I'll do okay. Well, I'll let you think about my final question. Who's going to be man of the match? Was my going to be my final question? Okay. Oh, who's going to be who's going to pick up the trophy at the end? Well, again, it's going to be uh, performance or recency bias. So the team that wins will have the the player of the game, regardless of how well everybody plays. So it has to be a Liverpool player, and it normally is the player that win- scores the winning goal, because again of bias. So I'm going to go with Mo Salah. Okay. So do you want my score predictions? I would love them. And yeah, let's let's see what we've got. And goal scorers as well. I'm going to go 3-1 Liverpool. I'm going to go Luis Diaz, Sadio Mane and Andy Robertson to score. Wow. And Karim Benzema for Madrid. And I what think... Are odds? What are the odds on that? <laughs> <laughs> well, given I got five lottery numbers last week, it's not... <laughs> Um, I'm following you in. I'm going all in. Man of the match, I think, will be. I mean, obviously, it depends if he, if he starts. Obviously, the, the, the Diaz or Jota angle is depending on who starts. But um, if Diaz starts, I'm going to go for him to be man of the match. Not I bad, think he's been exceptional this year since he's come in. Since January, he has been like he's blown me away. I think he's a properly good footballer. Yeah. And it, I love his attitude as well. He just looks like he just. it's. He loves it. Like, it's yeah. just all or nothing. Like, every chance, every dribble, everything means so much to him. And I just love to see that in a world of overpaid footballers that don't seem to love what they do. And that can decide who the coach is going to be and which players they buy. <laughs> well, we have to we have to backtrack on what we said last week, right? Looks like he's going to Real Madrid, blah, blah, blah. And then, whammy, a million a week. How much was the signing on fee? 200 million? I mean, it's ridiculous. But I heard that Real Madrid paid some of his signing on fee to Mbappe in December, I read somewhere. So, I mean, it's just madness, isn't it? Well, if he's, you know, if he's spent that, it's like when you used to get a little uh, advance on your on your wages and then spend it before payday. But I think he's probably got a bit of cash in the bank after that transfer. Yeah, my, my advance on my wages would normally go on lucky 15s in bookies <laughs> that never <laughs> get paid out. But with that, if you're another player for that team in the changing room and you know that he has influence on the board and you know that he influences the manager and what, you know, how, how true it is, we don't know, and how much influence there is, we don't know. But how can you potentially unite a team and take them forward when that's the situation? And can you imagine being a manager getting off with the job and you go, oh, but by the way, whatever you decide, you have to run through one of your players to make sure he's happy with it. You'd go, no, nah, I'm all right, thanks. Yeah. Well, maybe, you know, you go into the job interview, there's the owner. Uh, and then there's Kylian Mbappe with his kit on his shin pads, just chatting to you about, you know, your management techniques and what kind of a person you are. It's it's truly just a bizarre deal. I think it just represents kind of what's wrong with the sport, especially in roles that I've done in the past, going into clubs and finding out how much coaches get paid and how much other staff get paid when all these players are at the top earning millions and everybody else is scraping around trying to, you know, afford a mortgage. It's it's obscene. Yeah. Can we um can we end this series with um I'm definitely going off script here and you're not you, this is completely unprepared but again I hope someone's watching this or listening to this not watching this in a car but if you're listening to this podcast in a car then you can do this on the car journey so I'm going to ask you some questions and we're going to do the bet it right end of season awards okay <laughs> Number for anyone one. listening I have no idea what's about to happen here. Left-footed volley goal of the season. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Number one. Who, in your opinion, was the player of the year? 
Bruno Fernandes. No, sorry, that's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go for Hyung Min Son. Yeah. Now, I know he won the Golden Boot, so it's a bit of a cop-out answer from me, but I just love everything about him. He won the Golden Boot without taking a penalty. I know. And he's, really? I've seen a video of him coming back. He's landed back in South Korea and he's mobbed when he got to the airport. It's great. And it's, and, it, and it's the fact that he just plays so free and he's so happy and in a team that have been really defensively minded to counter-attack and how good he's been at that counter-attack under Conte, him, Kane, Kulusevski, Mora. It's just been brilliant to watch and he just looks like just a happy chap having living his best life. So, yeah, human song for me. Yourself? Uh, yeah, I, I was actually going to say Son as well. I think he's been he's been exceptional. Um, obviously, he's scored a lot of goals, but um, it's been an up and down season for Tottenham and the constant has been Son performing. And, and I just, I mean, I think he's like possibly the most popular footballer there is really because no matter what club you support, you can't hate him. Yeah. Bounces around with a smile on his face. Um, yeah, he just seems like a very like nice guy, but an exceptional footballer. And I think he would get into any team in the Premier League. Obviously, he'd walk into cities, he'd walk into Liverpool's. I think he's he's that good. Oh would yeah, he'd walk into any team in the world. Yeah, in the world. Yeah, fair point. Yeah, um, young player of the year. I know Foden won it, and he's what twenty nine or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was surprised that Foden won it, but is there someone else, a youngster that's come through this season that you've been impre impressed by? I think Conor Gallagher at Palace has been brilliant. The same ones? Yeah, I was going to say Conor. Um, obviously, he's on loan, so whether he goes back and he has, a, he has an actual career at Chelsea is another thing, but he's been really, really good. Um, I would say Anthony Gordon at Everton, but I just can't stand the fact that he keeps diving around and and just whinging all the time. He looks like he could potentially become a you know a, a good player in the in the league. I think Arsenal are a team to watch with their young players for the future. I do really like Emil Smith Rowe uh, as a as a central as a more dynamic and atypical central midfielder, kind of a little bit out of the ordinary. I think he's another one to watch for the future. But those, I think, yeah, Conor Gallagher really in a team that changed completely under Vieira. I think he's been really good. Yeah, I was. I mean, I guess he sort of answered it there. Not necessarily an emerging talent because he's been on the scene for a little bit of time now. But but I was going to sort of frame the next question around like an emerging talent. And there's two players. I might be completely wrong, but I think Ryan Sessegnon's going to have a really good time of it under Conte. Now he's playing in that sort of role. He had a good end of the season, and I think he's always had a big reputation. Obviously, when he was at Fulham, he was tipped to. You know, I think he was playing when he was like 15 at Fulham, wasn't he? But anyway. I think he's going to have a, a good time of it potentially next season under Conte. And I thought there's a striker for Leeds, um, Gelhart. Is that yeah? It? Again, he's he came. He obviously assisted for the equaliser in the 93rd minute on the penultimate game of the season. And with Bamford having injury issues, he's a player that I think could have quite a good season next year. And both him and Sessignon, less so as an emerging talent, but a name I hadn't really been that aware of going into the season. And I'm actually looking forward to seeing how he progresses next season. Is there someone like that that you wanted to flag up? Yeah, a big one for me, for Bennett Wright users to keep their eyes on, will be Fabio Carvalho going from Fulham to Liverpool. Uh, a good friend of mine, Ollie, not you, but another Ollie, actually discovered him in a park in Ballam. He came over and said, can I have a kickabout with you guys? I'm... Like, didn't speak very good English, just moved to the country. He's about 11 or 12 years old. He had a kickabout with them at Ballam, Ballam United. 
in South London. And they signed him. They kept him there for three years before he moved to Fulham. So the pictures in the paper of him celebrating with those coaches from his old club, that's my friend Ollie. And I've been following his progress. We've been talking about him and the whole Liverpool thing. And he's just going to be an unbelievable talent. Right. So people that haven't seen him play, maybe that just watched the Prem, keep your eyes peeled because he's going to be a, a gem. Yeah, I, I watched like a goals montage from him at Fulham and some of them are incredible. He's um, he's a very exciting signing and he's going into a team and a system under a manager that should really suit his development as a player. Is that fair, do you reckon? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It falls right into that mould yeah. of your of your Salas, your Diaz's, your Mane's, yeah. that accomplished 1v1 technical winger, aggressive to play forward. And I think he'll be a really... Next year, he'll probably be drip-fed in, you know, as he does, Klopp. And then it will just be full steam ahead, I think. Sell Salah for $100 million, catch him just at the top of his 20s, early 30s, and then push ahead with the youngsters. Um, OK, well, the Oscars of 2022 are done and dusted. Thank you. The unplanned Oscars, by yes. the way, on the hop. And I got the same two answers as you, which is a bit weird. But we it just, I think, just we means do. that we're both pros, right? As my phone goes off on my computer, did you hear that? <laughs> Do you know what? It really annoys me that my phone never rings, and then whenever I record something, it goes off on this. Anyway, well, I don't know how you turn it off coming through your computer. Sorry, imagine if someone's imagine if this isn't edited out. <laughs> this would be the worst way to end the special ever. How do you turn your phone off? What I was going to say is that Dean is. And it's been an absolute delight working with Dean throughout the course of the season because his, his notes are rigorous. He does loads of work. It's a very planned show normally, but I've completely thrown him a curveball there with which he has knocked it for the greatest home run that I've ever seen out of the park. So thank you very much for that. I'm sorry for throwing throwing that into the mix late on, but, um, but you dealt with it like the pro that you are. Um, so thank you. Thank you to all the team that helped put this show together, James, Jeremy, Liam. Um, and we'll be back next season for, for more of the same. Dean, have you have you enjoyed season one of the Better Right show? I have. I have. Something completely new for everyone or nobody that knows me or doesn't know me. Something completely new. I love the challenge of it. Like you say, getting the notes ready, researching the teams, looking at footage, extending the work that I already do for the syndicate like we talked about in week one. Working with you every week, all the guys behind the scenes, the insights team, the guys that surprise shirts, obviously the service itself as we grow it and develop it and make it more user friendly. Looking forward to season two, looking forward to hopefully having some special guests on, coming up with some new ways to push bets towards our users and hopefully just help people to win more money and place their bets better. And yeah, it's been a, it's been a great time. Loved wearing the shirts. I've now got a, a, a cupboard full of football shirts. Uh, yeah, but it's been it's been great fun. Looking forward to a bit of time off. I'm not going to lie. Reset the brain and come back stronger for season two. Yeah, definitely. We'll be back um, with loads more coming your way, actually, with us on on Bet It Right. So in the meantime, enjoy your break, Dean, and to our listeners and viewers. Um, but get ready for the next season. Head to betitright.com. There will be football somewhere in the world. And if you want to find out about it, Bet it Right will have it covered because it covers every league around the world. It's got extensive data. So um, make sure you, you sign up, tell your friends and get ready for next season. But on behalf of all of us, thank you very much for tuning in, um, for watching, for commenting. Neil Roberts, a special shout out to him, <laughs> of course. 
Um, and Dean, yeah, we'll see you next season where we'll be um, back stronger, back with more uh, and hopefully back um, tipping winners as well here on the Better Right Show. So thanks a lot, mate, and um, good luck on Saturday. Absolutely. Goodbye.